This is a Federal News Network podcast. After a long stint as the Deputy Director of the Center for Information Technology at the NIH, Stacey Album is about to head to the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. At the ACT-IAC Emerging Technology Conference in Cambridge, Maryland earlier this week, I caught up with Album. We discussed what her new job will be all about. I'll be joining the CIO organization as the Deputy Director for Enterprise Strategy. What does that mean, enterprise strategy, enterprise IT strategy, or what should the FDIC do for a living? So the FDIC has quite an impressive IT operation over there, and I'm going over there. One of the big things I'll be doing is uh, leading the development of the next IT strategic plan and working with the IT leadership team there under Sylvia Burns' leadership, of course, to modernize the IT infrastructure and architecture. And um, what I'm most excited about, the role that I'll get to play in this new position, is engaging and partnering with the programs across the agency. So getting to learn about their business and more about the mission and ensuring that uh, IT is uh, being responsive to their needs and fulfilling them. And obviously, I've been very fortunate to support so many incredible missions across the federal government over the last two decades. This is my fifth agency, and I'm going from spending the last 15 years supporting science missions, so protecting people's health, to um, going to more of the financial industry. But personally, Maintaining the stability and the um, public confidence in the nation's financial system is a pretty important job, and I'm just really honored to join the FDIC family and be a part of it. And you mentioned unifying the missions there through the network, and you did that at NIH to some extent, Mm -hmm. all of the different components of NIH. I think there's, what, a couple of dozen different components within NIH, the different institutes, and there was a construction, a deliberate way of tying them together with a single network. Mm-hmm. Maybe review that for us. Where does that all stand now? Is it done or is it still evolving? The network is one of the most critical set of capabilities that we've been delivering at NIH's Center for IT. As you've heard, we're so dependent on that with the massive amounts of data that we generate. And so when I joined NIH in 2017, we were in the midst of modernizing our network. And uh, so we completed that around, I'd say, 2018, 2019 and stabilized. And uh, believe it or not, we're now embarking on the next generation of our network capabilities. And so one of the things I love about NIH is it's really a community. So although the way it's organized and operates is highly federated, we really come together as a community. So we're currently partnering with the other institutes and centers and with industry to formulate our vision for the future of the network. And what did you learn from that effort that might carry you into FDIC? Well, something that's quite pertinent um, and will play into my role, which is the importance of understanding the business, bridging technology to the business, spending um, time establishing those partnerships with people all over the agency and really collaborating them and co-creating solutions with them, embedding IT into the business. And so I, I learned a lot about that at NIH, and I'm excited to do the same at FDIC. And the purpose of a network, of course, is to move data. Mm-hmm. Six and petabytes at our agency. Right. And that's something that couldn't have been imagined 20 years ago mm-hmm. or 40 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, when this whole IT thing started in the government. So what are your data learnings? What do people need to know about data 
mm-hmm. in this age when you move six petabytes a day? Well, it's interesting because uh, we've always done a lot in the labs. And what our network has really done is interconnected all of those facilities and given us the ability um, to share data and, and store and manage it in ways we never could before. And the network is certainly at the core of that. But what we've been doing recently through our Strides program is moving large research data sets out to our cloud platforms. And I don't know that we could have imagined that even five years ago. And so I think the biggest learning when it comes to data is just to, um, is that the landscape is always shifting. Data is always going to be at the heart of what we do and all of our programs. But the world around us is changing and we have to constantly be you know, kind of watching where the world is going and and shifting with it and not be afraid to take the next leap. And you have been kind of a pioneer in, or at least an advancer of the idea of what you call mission excursions. Mm -hmm. Tell us what those were at NIH, and is it something you plan to do at FDIC? Yeah, and um, I imagine Sylvia's probably already got a head start on that at FDIC. So I'm excited to go there. Uh, Well, she's already been leading the IT organization for several years, But when I came to NIH, you know, we have an incredible mission and really talented, dedicated workforce. I call those things together kind of the secret sauce of any incredible work experience. But what I noticed is that some of our, um, we have a very uh, diverse uh, IT workforce. And some of our newer employees hadn't had a chance to really engage with the broader NIH community and learn about the broader mission. At the same time, we had many talented individuals that had worked at NIH for years, decades even, and maybe had at some point become, you know, disengaged or more removed from that. So as part of our program, most people would call it employee engagement. I call it improving the employee's experience because our employees are engaged and it's our responsibility as leadership to improve their experience. So we started a major, um, a cornerstone of our this program was Mission Excursions where uh, we organized groups of staff to go out into the labs, into the programs, instead of them having to come to us and understand what a difference IT makes day in, day out at NIH. And you had some really good examples that mm-hmm. seared that idea into their brains, such yes. as the fact that a lack of good Wi-Fi coverage yes. can affect the outcome of a clinical trial. Exactly. Or even cellular. Before we modernized the network, which included our wireless and our cellular coverage, we were lacking in those capabilities. And one of the most special places at NIH is our clinical center where, um, you know, people come where they have nowhere else to go. It's like uh, our former director, Dr. Collins, says, you know, he thinks of us as the National Institute of Hope, Institutes of Hope. And so, That was one place where I partnered with some of my colleagues at the clinical center, and they um, were gracious enough to take us on tours where we could see firsthand the patient care that was happening in the clinics that we run. Right, and there were people doing workarounds as a result of not having Wi-Fi, and that drove home the idea that even something as mundane as Wi-Fi coverage matters. Exactly, matters a lot. Some In some cases, those basics matter more than the next artificial intelligence project. Yeah, and when you, when you as a technologist, see that firsthand, whether you're an engineer or an operator or a developer, and stop and think for a moment, that could be my family member that's cared for there. That could be my child, my brother, my sister, a neighbor, a friend that's, um, you know, 
has come here for help and hope. And um, wouldn't you want them to um, have all the possibilities that NIH has to offer? And finally, what's the next frontier for customer experience as it relates to the federal employee? Yes. So customer experience is, of course, all the rage right now, which I think you well know, Tom. And one of the philosophies that I believe in is that customer experience really begins with employee experience. And you have to give your people, the ones that are getting the work done every day in your organizations, a positive experience that will, you know, really trickle over into the rest of the agencies, the customers you serve both internally and externally. And so we've put a lot of focus in our organization. We have a set of operating principles to empower people, enable innovation, and deliver value a set of core values that we live and breathe by every day. And the underpinning those are diversity, equity, and inclusion, which I believe fuel innovation and breed excellence in any organization. And that was one of the things that really attracted me to FDIC is when I was preparing to pursue this opportunity, I read the FDIC strategic plan, the, the CIO organization's IT strategic plan, and their core values very much resonated with me. Stacy Album is the new Deputy Director for Enterprise Strategy in the office of the CIO at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the chief human capital officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader, and what about them inspired you? You know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all but, I, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, and uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League play- baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, uh, whether 
you know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And, and, and he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village that was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that, that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind, that, that what we say and do, admit, especially in the younger ages, really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and, and how has that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. I've always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, a social security administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. That was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of the Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi- historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is 
I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Want more ways to show your good side to the world? Donate plasma at a Griffles Center and join thousands of donors who are helping to save lives. Receive up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.